France, and Tim Horan, who had played almost no rugby for twelve months, was lauded as the player of the tournament. If ever there was an advert for the value of resting the key older players for prolonged periods to ensure one final magnificent performance before their careers end, this was it. When Rudolf Strauli was appointed in 2000 as the new Bok coach, he was encouraged to seek my counsel. We sat in my office at the Institute, and I told him that to win the 2003 Rugby World Cup in Australia, it was essential that the 22 players he needed in the final two weeks of the tournament, to play the semi-finals and the finals, be identified as early as possible, so that they could be managed appropriately for the next four years, especially in the final 12 months before the tournament. Only in this way would it be possible for them to peak and to ensure that they were injury-free for those two crucial games. I asked him if he knew who those players were, and he replied that he did not. He knew the 60 best players in the country, and he would select the best 22 of those players over the next four years. Sadly, after two years, his campaign ran into trouble. Burdened by the inexorable pressures that engulf a failing Springbok coach, Strauli abandoned science, and I did not hear from him again. The 2003 Rugby World Cup was indeed a disaster, as South Africa was eliminated by New Zealand in the quarter-finals, having performed rather dismally in the earlier rounds. The problem was not purely as a result of tired, overplayed players. The reality is that Rudolf Strauli is a more honourable person and much more skilled coach than his record as Springbok coach suggests. When Jake White was appointed coach of the Springboks, I became an official medical consultant to Saru. Jake was encouraged to consult me. When he did come to see me, in March 2004, shortly after his appointment as coach, he asked my advice on the medical issues he needed to understand in order to win the World Cup. I told him that he needed to ensure that he had the 22 best players at his disposal in the final. Not the 20 or 21 best players, the 22 best players. I said to him, Jake, if you tell me who those 22 best players are, we'll make sure we get them onto the field in perfect condition for that final. So he immediately started drawing up the list of his best 22 players. This advice was neither new nor was it rocket science. I was only following the Australian model that had been so effective in the 1999 World Cup. I was also strongly influenced by those elite endurance athletes with whom I had interacted over the years, Bruce Fordyce, Paula Newby-Fraser, and perhaps the greatest of all, American triathlete Mark Allen. All of them knew how to be right on the day that mattered. Bruce's statement was particularly pertinent. If you want to be right for the race that really matters, don't try also to be good in the races that are unimportant. The problem for most athletes is that they lack the self-knowledge of these three great athletes. To bolster their insecurity, they want also to be seen to be good on the days that don't matter. Coaches face the same problem. Their insecurity requires that they try to win everything, including the games that are less important and that interfere with achieving the bigger picture. The question was whether Jake had the personal security to buy into an approach that would cause him to lose some games that his team would otherwise have won. As a result, his overall international coaching record would not be as good as it might have been. In my view, this would be forgotten if his team won the World Cup. Challenging Beliefs, Memoirs of a Career by Tim Noakes with Michael Flismus is read by Graham Hopkins and directed by Posey Keogh. The book is published by Zebra Press and is available at all leading bookstores. And is produced for SAFM by Julia Ann Malone.
What would I do without your smart mouth? Drawing me in and you kicking me out. You've got my head spinning. No kidding, I can't pin you down. What's going on in that beautiful mind? I'm on your magical mystery ride. And I'm so dizzy, don't know what hit me, but I'll be alright. My head's underwater, but I'm breathing fine. You're crazy and I'm out of my mind. Cause all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. All your perfect imperfections. Give your all to me. I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Cause I give you all of me And you give me all of you oh. How many times do I have to tell you Even when you're crying, you're beautiful too The world is beating you down My rhythm and blues I can't stop singing It's ringing in my head for you My head's underwater But I'm breathing fine You're crazy and I'm out of my mind Cause all of me loves All your perfect imperfections Give your all to me I give my all to you You're my end and my beginning Even when I lose, I'm winning Cause I give you all of me Give your all to me. I give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning. Cause I give you all of me. And you give me all of you.
music of Adele in the background with a track titled Set Fire to the Rain. You're listening to Overnight here on SFM with me, Nayelo Pondona, who we are set to speak to Leslie again, who's going to be our guest this morning, to give us some perspective on the ever so dreamt about social cohesion. Is it a phantom concept? Is it a dream ever to be realized? Or like one book I've once read, is it a dream deferred? I let it fall, my heart, and as it fell, you rose to claim it. It was dark, and I was over, until you kissed my lips, and you saved me. My hands, they were strong, but my knees were far too Just turned 29 minutes before one on SFM South Africa's news and information leader. I am Nayel Pondwana with you until 4 o'clock, the midnight rendezvous or the conversations that keep on continuing right here on SFM, even so after midnight. So we have now this ever pending circumstance, situation, happening, dream, whatever you want to call it, the issue of, well, social cohesion in South Africa. When is this ever happening? Or is it ever going to happen? Or perhaps is it happening already and we're just not seeing it? I don't know. Well, many people have said a lot of things about the concept of social cohesion. Today we focus on social cohesion, asking the question, how far have we achieved this concept, this whole idea of social cohesion with regards to social cohesion in the country, within the borders of the republic? not just certain quarters of our country, with everyone who is within the borders of the Republic. And what needs to be done going forward to make sure that we get there? Joining me now is Leslie Degania, visiting research fellow at the Graduate School of Public and Development at uh, the University of Vatathrant. He's also a research associate at the University of Pretoria at the Department of Political Science. Good morning to you, Mr. Degain, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Social cohesion. Is it happening? It's happening, but there are two points that I would want to explain. It's, and that is that um, you mentioned in your introduction um, that uh, uh, it's, there's, a, there's a point where it started. Uh, I want to, to, to caution that it ne- in South Africa, in the South African case, it's not something that has only started post-94. It's something that started uh, during the process of liberation movement of South Africa began the struggle for national liberation. 
That's the first point. The second point is that unique to South Africa only. It's something that has been happening in many other countries. But I suppose in this case, we are really focusing on the South African case. Okay. Hello? Oh, yes, I'm listening, sir. Go ahead. Um, so I think those are the two most important points. The third one, which we'll probably deal with as we go along in, in the discourse, um, is that it's not a means to an end. It's not something that you can say uh, we've started it now, we'll, we'll stop here. Um, but it's something that, as you would recognize, uh, 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 we certainly can say there are certain impediments that exist in uh, establishing a socially cohesive society. So that's what I think in the discourse uh, uh, is, utmost, is of utmost importance for me. What? does this mean when when we speak of a socially cohesive country or a society what exactly do we mean by that i think there are two uh, interpretations the one is actually a, a view that negates uh, social cohesion uh, that view i mean to give you an example uh, a country that is not socially cohesive is a country that is imploding now, if you go back uh, to during the process of the liberation struggle, post uh, pre-94, even uh, in the 90s, uh, what we had was a turbulent historical moment in our country, where quite clearly uh, we, had, we previously, during the colonial period, had racial divisions based on colonial practices that existed historically in South Africa, which therefore then gave rise to uh, um, um, to revolts, to, to struggles that were raised by liberation movements against that colonial system uh, and, 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 and system that uh, enforced uh, racial and ethnic divisions in our country, as it is evidently so. Um, um, at that moment, the, the country was, deaf, was far from being socially cohesive. We could not even begin to see signs of a socially cohesive society, a society where uh, different racial groups would live in harmony, in peace, um, 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 and live as was espoused by the liberation movement at the time in a country that is non-racial, democratic, and non-sexist, um, that, uh, uh, that, that at the economic level, huge economic disparities as what we are having, uh, as what we are witnessing and still are witnessing in South Africa today. Where do you get your definition of social cohesion? Um, uh, the definition that I get of social cohesion is not something that we find within the textbook, but it is, uh, um, as I said before, it's not something that is only unique to South Africa, but it's, it's something that many other uh, countries also are faced with and are trying to deal with. And that's my definition is really based on practice and based on experiences of other countries that seek to achieve a society that does not have, uh, that, that is not as polarized or that is not, as I said, imploding. Uh, 
um, but rather trying to be harmonious in social practices in society. I, I ask this because we have seen calls for social cohesion in the past four or five years, and before then we were speaking of nation building a government of national unity, trying to do anything to that effect. And we've used the phrase social cohesion uh, to my recollection in the past four or five years. Uh, what, what am I missing there? Um, I'm, I'm, as I'm saying, uh, in a specific way, in the South African context, I give you the historical process that we come from, um, which was full of these divisions, which resulted to uh, a reaction from uh, uh, the majority of South Africans system, uh, uh, which therefore then created instability within the country. Um, I think we're coming from that history. What we seek to do now is to build a new society where uh, uh, that is not going to happen anymore, but to try and, 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 and bridge a gap between these polarities that exist uh, um, um, within the country. When you started, you said um, we have begun already on the path of social cohesion and now, just now, you're saying there are polarities within our country. Which is it? Hello? When you, when you started, you said we have already begun our journey to social cohesion and now you're saying there are existing polarities. These polarities existed before, as I said earlier on. Are they no longer there? Um, uh, they persist to exist, but we are in the process of changing uh, uh, this racial divide as correctly uh, 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 as can be seen within our historical trajectory. In 1994, uh, um, or post-1994, when the first democratic elections took place in South Africa, that was, a symbol, that was a symbol of us moving from a society that is polarized to a society that is uh, non-racial, that seems to be inclusive of all different racial groups in South Africa. Uh, and indeed, of course, nation formation does include the element that we are referring to earlier on. That is nation building. We're trying to build a nation, a nation that is united uh, in its diversity. Uh, understanding the different diversity, yet at the same time um, uh, um, forging a national identity, that of being a South African. The Department of uh, uh, Arts and Culture has its own definition. Perhaps you might take a leaf from there. Um, I'm going to read it verbatim to you, and you tell me what you think of the Department's definition of social cohesion. It says, the department defines social cohesion as the degree of social integration and inclusion in communities and society at large, and the extent to which mutual solidarity finds expression among individuals and communities. In terms of this definition, a community or society is cohesive to the extent that the inequalities, exclusions, and disparities 
is based on ethnicity, gender, class, nationality, age, uh, disability, or any other distinctions which engender divisions, distrust, and conflicts are reduced and or eliminated. Reduced and or eliminated in a planned and sustained manner. This with the community members and citizens as active participants working together for the attainment of shared goals designed and agreed upon to improve the living conditions for all. Do you believe um, before 1994 we had this definition at play in South Africa? So what is clearly defined as, as, as now currently defined by the Department of Arts and Culture, and I'm saying that because I was part, partially part of the process of uh, working on, 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 on the conference of the National Department of Arts and Culture. Uh, what happened is that uh, it took a process for the, for, for the department to go and do in-depth research uh, to be able to come to those definitions. But but in, for, for, in the process of doing that, um, 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 uh, the state itself in South Africa, uh, the new democratic uh, government in South Africa, uh, was the one that spearheaded that process. It, why? Because even before those definitions that we are reading now uh, were there, uh, there were initiatives variably so in different ways within which the state uh, um, 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 tried uh, to build a socially coercive uh, 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 society. You can say that because if you read our constitution, our constitution alludes to some of the, the definitions that we are referring to there. But even before uh, uh, the present uh, uh, so before the new government, uh, uh, if you go back to historical documents, you would go back to documents like the Freedom Charter. You'll find out that the Freedom Charter itself uh, um, 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 espouses the same values that the definitions that we are referring to uh, is, is, is articulating, that are articulated in the definitions of the current documents of the Department of Arts and Culture. Again, we're speaking of the dreams and the ideals and plans and all sorts of things that are not practical. Now, my question is, when you answer and say we, it started long before 1994, it gives the impression that there was equality and sameness of goals and we were one nation, and yet that is not true. Well, look, Quite clearly, all those definitions are hopes and aspirations of all South Africans. Um, and but what I'm saying is that these hopes and aspirations have not, uh, did not only begin to happen now. They happened uh, 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 during the colonial period itself, uh, before uh, the new dispensation, um, 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 but there were different forces contesting power over that at that time. We are now in a process where at least the overwhelming majority of South Africans voted for these new constitutions. Uh, a constitution that shares, as I said earlier on, uh, some of uh, uh, the definitions uh, that 
the, the current uh, 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 that, that the department uh, is, is, is referring to. Let, let me let me point out a few things that, according to the department, um, signify and symbolize and attest to social cohesion. The department uh, cites issues like basic services. That's not the same. We're not experiencing basic services alike in South Africa. Education. We don't have equal education in our country. Healthcare. We don't have equal health access to health care in our country. Justice and housing, all these are not in an equitable manner in our country, which, according to the department, we have not yet achieved social cohesion. That's why I'm asking, how do you come to the conclusion that we started long before 1994 if the department identifies these things and yet these things are not yet achieved? I didn't say we have social cohesion. I'm saying that the idea of building a socially cohesive society is not something that started uh, in post-1994. Let, let me I remind you that, the beginning of our conversation. No, but if I read the document properly of the department, I think that the department is recognizing these deep-seated racial inequalities that affects all different facets of South African society. It recognizes uh, um, our history. Um, it recognizes uh, the different economic inequalities that exist within the country. And it's basically saying that unless we begin to change those inequalities, we will not be able to build a socially cohesive society. Um, and if we are clean, we will not take into account that factor. Other countries, uh, um, um, in the Arab Springs, uh, where you had a fairly so-called uh, uh, um, um, various countries that were fairly stable, uh, but yet, at the same time, what you had were these deep uh, inequalities that existed within those countries. Um, and, it, and earlier, but now, during the Arab Spring, we saw how those countries became unstable. They became unstable because of those racial inequalities that existed within that group. Uh, uh, within themselves. So what the department is really saying is that unless we begin to deal with those um, holistically, we will not be able to reach our dreams and our hopes uh, of, uh, a socially, of, of, socially, of a socially coercive society. Okay. Um, let's, let's move on a bit. Let's talk about um, um, the basics of social cohesion um, and, and, and speak plainly because I, I suspect we may be speaking at cross purposes because when I started asking I said is social cohesion is it happening and you said it started a long time before 1994 you never said to me the idea but it's alright we, 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 we're trying to get to understand each other and if you're saying it's idea that started a long time ago Fair enough. Let's talk about what President Jacob Zuma said um, in, in, uh, when he was um, talking at the opening of the Social Cohesion Summit. He said, 
Every citizen became an ambassador of our beautiful country, he said. It was a wonderful moment and it showed us what is possible if we put our country first above all else. And he was referring to the 2010 FIFA World Cup. Right, right. Was the president mistaken? <coughs> was he lost for history? Or was he revising history when he was referencing the World Cup and not long before 1994? No, I think what he was saying that there are different means and ways of building a socially cohesive society, of building a nation. Um, sports is one key important element of that. Um, that is why the actual campaign of social cohesion by, is, is run by, by, by the Department of Arts and Culture within the state. Uh, it is precisely because culture is an important element of bringing people together, of getting people to talk uh, to each other, um, to begin to understand each other, um, to begin to, to, to share uh, uh, um, in practice uh, in of, 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 of a country where different racial groups, different ethnic groups will be able to walk along um, and face even the challenges that we are facing in South Africa. So it was not far-fetched. Therefore, then, uh, um, that is why FIFA also recognizes the role of soccer, for example, uh, in building uh, socially... Uh, in, in bringing different racial groups together. Um, however, there are certain uh, 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 um, um, assumptions that people are having when we talk about social cohesion, and that is the issue of homogenizing different racial groups or different ethnic groups. I think that is a myth. Uh, you cannot homogenize racial groups, ethnic groups, you cannot homogenize even people. You've got to accept that different individuals in different societies uh, will have different tastes, will have different things all the time, will have uh, uh, different approaches to life. Uh, but that, once again, as well, does not negate, negate the fact that these people can be able to work together. All right. So, um, in, in actual fact, and in your opinion, uh, when will this idea come into practice? Um, effectively within the state, I think it came into practice. I think there was a conference last year uh, in Clip Town uh, that was organized by the state, uh, led by the Department of Arts and Culture, which invited numerous people in South Africa um, to from religious groups, uh, different racial groups from uh, uh, business, academia, and so on and so on. Uh, basically, uh, trade unions, labor, and so on, to come and talk about their vision for South Africa. But I think it was clear in that conference to all actors that participated in the conference, that this was not a beginning of a process, but it was a process, it was a continuation of a process that was affirming aspirations of all South Africans, that was really uh, affirming uh, uh, the values that are espoused in our constitution for what a South Africa we want. 
I think that was the message that came out of that conference. But yet also in the conference, some of these contradictions that I'm referring to of deep inequalities, deep racial divisions, where, where it talked about, um, um, there was even declaration there uh, uh, that, that seek to find solutions for how we can build a socially cohesive society. But it was also quite clear in the conference that People will not say that there's going to be an end date. Let's say in 2020, we will therefore then have a socially cohesive society. Um, I think people are saying that we must continue the discourse. We must uh, 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 have certain campaigns that can uh, uh, take forward these hopes and aspirations that we are having for a, a, a better South Africa. We must. We must not, and, and, and key to that process is to understand that our constitution, unless, uh, it, it will not be a living document, unless we do so, we try to participate, uh, in that will foster a, 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 an ideal for a socially cohesive society. Um, so, in other words, conference was also saying, uh, um, though we understand it's an ongoing process, efforts must be taken to work towards building a better nation. Well, um, to be exact, it was exactly one year ago when this conference started, on the 4th of the 5th of July, 2012. Yes. Actually, it's two years. 2012. Now, my, my curiosity is, um, you're saying it was everyone who, has agree, who had agreed on what you're saying. And I want to read a report that was co covered by the Mail and Guardian. The Mail and Guardian covered that conference and came up with this report. And I want you to tell me if the Mail and Guardian is mistaken. It reads, speakers agreed that as Lumgum Timde, chief executive of the Media Development and Diversity Agency, put it, South Africa's triple challenge of unemployment, poverty, and inequality were the causes of the lack of social cohesion in South Africa. Is the Mail and Guardian mistaken? It's not mistaken. It's definitely right. However, I think that uh, uh, maybe for reasons of space, they just look at one aspect of social cohesion. I think the conference was not looking at one aspect of social cohesion. Um, because if if it was if, if that was the case, then uh, uh, they would have been doing what I what I what I personally would refer to as, as, as economic determinism. Uh, social cohesion can only cannot only be resolved by only solving the economic problems of the country. There are many to be resolving. Hello. Yes, I'm listening. So go ahead. Um, and those those are uh, issues like I've referred to you. Uh, the need to change the South African general landscape. Um, um, the demand holding on my phone is running into bed. All right, go ahead. We'll connect your phone. Um, so uh, yeah, so that that was the key message of, 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 of conference that we have to deal with these things holistically. We cannot deal with one aspect of social cohesion and neglect the other one. Yes, indeed, the socio-economic ones are the most pressing ones uh, that we all know the country is faced with. We've seen all the local government protests and uh, 
um, things that, that have been happening around the country. They are in effect of they they they, they, are, they are an expression of an expression of what people are feeling. Um, yeah, but uh, to just simply take one aspect uh, of, of of a South African ma. A lot, and assume if you deal with that one, uh, you you therefore then reach the goal of a socially cohesive society. I think that's 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 a bit um, short-sighted, I would say. All right, let's be far-sighted and long-sighted as possible. Name one item of, 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 uh, that defines social cohesion that we have successfully achieved. One. There are many things that we have achieved. There are many things that we have not achieved. I'm looking for the ones that have defined social cohesion in our country, and I'd love you to cite just one of them. The things that we have cited, that we have cited as things that need to happen for us to be a socially cohesive nation. And I'm saying, please point us to just one. One of those is uh, a very basic one: the fact that you, as a black South African today, can vote for any party that you would like to vote for. The fact that we have a different state um, that seeks to address socio-economic problems in South Africa, uh, the fact that we have a constitution uh, that, that that is fairly fairly inclusive, and, um, the fact that our institutions currently are undergoing transformation, and that we have a state that at least has whether if it fails or it does not uh, perfect the task, uh, but it is committed to the ideals of transforming the South Africa uh, that we are in today from the one that we previously used to have, that and fostered racial, uh, religious, uh, economic uh, 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 divisions within the South African society. All, all of what you just cited is nice and lovely and noble, but has nothing to do with the definition of social cohesion. And that's what I'm asking you to do right now. Point us to the definition of social cohesion and things that we have achieved as far as the definition is concerned. I, I, I agree that our country has had a lot of strides, none of which talk to social cohesion. And that's why no, I'm remember, asking... Remember we said that the set of values earlier, you said it yourself to me earlier on, um, that the department's definition refers to uh, issues of uh, social exclusion based on economic, uh, religious... Let me read it to uh, you again, so that we can... Uh, and, and, and I explained to you, that it explained that precisely because those are the factors that are mental to building a socially cohesive society. You can never have a socially cohesive society. Cohesiveness means uh, a country that is not uh, uh, conflicting consistently, a country that is not dividing, a country that sees itself as one nation, uh, a country that, yeah, uh, uh, um, that understands the needs of its people. Okay. Uh, um, and seek to build a commonality amongst these people. Okay. Or at least identify areas where there are different commonalities among each other.
So, I mean, it's not, these divisions are not only in terms of race. They are gender divisions as well. There's also uh, uh, the old and young divide. In the state where I promote all these aspects, uh, that will try and make sure that there's, there's no divisions of that nature in society. Okay. The question is, as I'm saying, is do you think that that would happen uh, by you setting a date, by saying 2020 we will therefore then have that society? Or do you um, see that as a, as a socially ongoing process? Uh, allow me to read this again, so perhaps um, um, we can, we can, we can um, come to an understanding here. Um, the things that I'm saying to you are not the things that I am telling you. These are things that I'm reading from official documents. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm reading the definition of the Department of Arts and Culture. This is what they say, and I'm asking you to talk to it. Help, help us as lay pe- people understand what uh, you researchers in the department mean when you speak of social cohesion. So I'm going to read this again to you, and I'm going to ask you to, to talk to that uh, in answering the question, which of these have we achieved? The department defines social cohesion as the degree of social integration and inclusion in communities mm-hmm. and society at large and the extent to which mutual solidarity finds expression among individuals and communities. In terms of this definition, a community or society is cohesive to the extent that the inequalities, exclusions, and disparities based on ethnicity, gender, class, nationality, age, disability, or any other distinctions which engender divisions, distrust, and conflict are reduced or eliminated in a planned and sustained manner. This with community members and citizens as active participants, working together for the attainment of shared goals designed and agreed upon to improve the living conditions for all. And now my question is, out of these that we've just mentioned right now, that I've read, which have we achieved? In other words, uh, from from from, there's there's not one that we have completely achieved. We have partially achieved each one of these ones that we have, uh, you have referred to. Okay. Surely you 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 will admit to me that in terms of uh, um, race, we have a constitution that seeks to to deal with that. Race. Yes. Are you referring to the Republic of South Africa that still has racial yes. issues? Yes, in terms of racism, that we do have policies that seek to change that. But in spite of the racism, um, of the policies that we have, sir, we still have racism rife in our country. Yeah, okay. Would, would you agree with me that we have economic policies that are geared towards changing the Mr. Again, we have policies to address. The country has got policies to address all of these things. My question is the practice, not the policy, not the ideal. I'm actually referring to the practice. When we look at the 50 million plus South Africans, can we say that we have achieved these men and women, young and old, to stand side by side as a socially cohesive people? Can we say that? No, we certainly have not reached that goal, but we do certainly have objectives of reaching that goal. That, 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 that is the point. That's a, I, I agree with you on that. That's a fair representation of the. If 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 we need to measure, then yes, 
uh, we can measure some, some we cannot measure. Sure, sure, no problem there. I'm, I'm happy we've come to this point because we agree on that. Now, th- th- this definition doesn't say eradicate or eliminate. It says reduce and or eliminate, which gives room for milestones of reduction. Do you believe that we have reduced any of these? We have, but one would have to go, uh, um, 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 and coincidentally, I am working for Matungu Institute for Strategic Reflection. We are having a conference on the same theme okay. on the 14th of August okay. uh, in Johannesburg. Um, so I would ask your viewers to try and see if they cannot come to the conference where these issues will be further debated. Mm-hmm. The conference is really based on an 18-month study that we have done around the country um, in Cape Town, Guazulu um, Natal, uh, and in Johannesburg in the area of FITAS. Yeah. So it will be a report that will be dealing with some of these issues that you are referring uh, that, that you, that you to be a report that, it, that we are dealing with now. Um, and quite clearly in the report also, some of the findings that we are finding, uh, even from the, the, the actual uh, people in the different localities uh, that, where they are located, um, the, the, the finding that we are finding is that there's far more lot that we still need to be doing in terms of reaching the goal. Uh, but the fact that we have it right in terms of our objective is something that people uh, uh, really attach to. Paul Mashatile uh, made uh, a remark at the conference, um, uh, the, the 2012 conference. Professor? Sorry. Paul Mashatile? Paul Mashatile, yes, yes. yes. Or oh, the minister, yes. Yes, they gave gave um, a, a remark, and he is quoted as having said, um, um, "The summit is set to carve a shared destiny that the country belongs to all who live in it." Now, this is a phrase that we see in our constitution and many reconciliatory documents. South Africa belongs to all who live in it. Do you believe that this idea? Forget about the practice now. Just the idea that South Africa belongs to all who live in it is a shared idea amongst South Africans? Yeah, I mean, it is definitely. And that's why I was saying to you that the process of, 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 of an ideal for a socially cohesive society, it's not something that believe, that started post-1994. That expression that we find in the Constitution now, an expression that was expressed in 1965 um, in Plot. it's an expression that comes from the Freedom Charter. South Africa belongs to all if in it. I think it is something that uh, people in South Africa uh, uh, believe in. Hence, we have today a democratic government uh, whose president was Nelson Mandela, who shared that ideal deeply and very, very strongly so. I will direct you to the uh, reports and the happenings in Parliament when uh, the opening of this current Parliament we saw members of the EFF, particularly the name of Wandile Mletama, who referenced certain members of the South African populace as thieves who stole our land. And I'm assuming when he says our land, he's referencing 
other members of the South African populace. Question is, do you believe that even he or his uh, contemporaries or his political party believe that South Africa belongs to all and not just those who stole it? The history of South Africa, hence I, was, I often say, I, I, was of, I, I often say, uh, uh, well, I said earlier on, uh, is one with deep divisions. But there are also different ideological schools of thought in South Africa that seek to find solutions to the problems of South Africa. Um, there was a school of black consciousness people, there was a school of uh, so-called people who believe in another racial democratic South Africa. Um, they all had differences, but they had a basis of convergence in terms of the objective of what they wanted for South Africa, in terms of their aspirations for South Africa. Surely, all these other parties, uh, with their different ideological uh, persuasions, uh, have one common vision for South Africa, and that is that we must end employment, we must uh, try to have a society that is harmonious, where people will be able to live together. Uh, that would include Sandler Montana. That would be, that's how I would interpret uh, uh, actors like, like Sandler Montana. I do believe that he does believe deep down in the vision of a non-racial and a democratic South Africa. Though he is problematizing the problems that he is problematizing. But who is not problematizing these problems? We all agree now that the question of land is an emotional issue, but it's an issue that has to be dealt with in the South African context. The question of how we're going to deal with it and the means and ways of what we are going to use to be able to deal with it is an issue for debate, and I don't think it's wrong to debate policies in finding a solution to a problem. We're in conversation with Leslie Tigani. Leslie Tigani, um, um, I want to thank you for what you just said right now. It's, it brings tears to my eyes to he see, to hear you speak so reconciliatory. Um, I, I, I really appreciate that. It just deflated me a bit. All right, let's move on. Um, um, let's talk about now the very concept of social cohesion. Some argue that social cohesion is a pie in the sky. Older democracies, much older than the Republic, have not yet achieved social cohesion. And people cite the democracies such as India, Britain, and the U.S., and yet they are still not socially cohesive. How do we aim to achieve social cohesion as a 20-year-old country if countries who have achieved democracy for far longer than we have not? It's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful uh, question you are posing because it alludes to the very same thing I was telling you that one on the one hand that uh, not only is, is a South African issue, countries that even post Second World War are still grappling with these questions mm. and uh, with migration uh, in those countries, uh, we see a lot of xenophobic. Consciousness amongst people there. Uh, so, but also, I mean, as you would know, at a few years ago in South Africa here, we were quite shocked about the xenophobic uh, attacks that were taking place uh, here 
to 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 foreign nationals. Um, but those things are still happening in South Africa. Uh, even today, they are still happening. That's what uh, some of the studies were doing was good at that. That a lot of other foreign national people are still feeling alienated in this democratic South Africa of ours. But it's not new to South Africa, as I said. Um, the danger, however, is when you don't deal with these problems constantly on an ongoing basis and have campaigns uh, and, and or, 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 or rather have the state to intervene in these problems on an ongoing basis and to assume that to, 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 to turn a blind eye and think we have resolved them. Why? Because we now have democratic elections, um, uh, we have nice policies, we have a nice constitution. Is 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 the most dangerous thing we can do. But also equally, uh, if the state or any other powerful group in society assumes that we can uh, stop these problems through repressive means. It's not going to be a solution. We know that now because, as I said, uh, the Arab Spring revolt, I mean, Tunisia, countries like that, these things uh, um, became evident. But equally, once again, as we are saying, in Europe, they still show their ugly heads. I lived in Paris for many years, and I can attach to that myself. Uh, or rather, let me say, I lived in Europe for many years, and I can attest to that myself. Hence the importance of us uh, as South Africans, and especially our state, uh, becoming different uh, in not allowing these things to be uh, shoved under the carpet, if not so, uh, trying to resolve them through repressive means. Hence, I think that conference that took place of last year was a very good step forward. And of importance in that conference was different political parties also represented uh, because social cohesion is not only, as I said, about economic issues. There's also a, a need for us to be a country where we can have divergent ideological and political views. Um, and, and that conference showed that that uh, as different as we are, even if we have different political parties, there's tolerance towards ideas in South Africa. That's another gain that we have, that we have in South Africa, it is the fact that we're able to talk to each other, um, harshly sometimes, but uh, um, um, really trying to deal with the South African problems and find the correct solutions to our problems. You, you keep on saying the conference... And that, that is not uh, reconciliated. That is actually very radical, I think. I, I understand, sir. You keep on saying last year. Are you suggesting that in the year 2013, there was another conference? No, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Not last year. It was 2012. 2012, I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, it's no. so fresh in my mind that I actually okay. didn't think it was All right. Last year. So, no problem. No problem. You'll excuse me if any in the morning. I understand. Well. I understand. <laughs> You're excused, sir. You're excused. I understand. All right. Um, now, let's, let's speak solutions now. What can be done to expedite the process?
practice of social cohesion. What can be done, for example, to make sure that race is not an issue, to expedite that in practice, not just as an idea, but as a practice? I think the policies that we're having currently are a right step in the direction. The fact that we have a constitution is a right step in the direction. But those are just documents. The different economic policy frameworks that we have uh, are a right step in the direction. The issue is how to implement them and make sure that they actually really, really uh, are meaningful uh, to the lives of our people and they respond to the aspirations and hopes of all South Africans, uh, regardless of race. That's my question, uh, is, is the implementation. What can be done to implement them? We've had these documents. For example, we've had the Constitution since 1996. The last draft was given to us in 1996. We've had that Constitution ever since then. We've had the Freedom Charter since 1955. We've had all these nice policies for years now. But I'm asking for the implementation of these noble policies. How do we implement them? Well, the first thing is to understand that all the different policies that have been casted or by, by the state, I mean, starting with the RTP, um, ASKISA, um, you know, you can move on till up to the ITP. I think people sometimes turn to try, try and, uh, um, and uh, uh, see it discontinuity in these policies. I don't see a discontinuity. I see a continuity in them because one tried to respond to the one that was uh, uh, created previously to the other one. I think if we can see that uh, 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 continuity and see that they seek to address our problems in time, we would go uh, a long way. That's, that's the first thing. The second one is, indeed, as I said, we must move away from economic determinism and assume that our problems uh, can only be solved if we have solved economic problems. But or, or see a differentiation in the way we implement our policies. But we must take a holistic approach uh, that will be able to, to simultaneously implement these policies. Um, um, I want to read what Helen was quoted to have said at that conference, and I'd love to to hear your remark to it. Democratic Alliance leader Helen Zillis said, there are no shortcuts to social cohesion. It isn't something that the state can impose on society. Now, that's the the entirety of the quote that I want to use for now, and uh, granted, Based on this quote, we cannot accuse her of having said anything beyond that. But I want to ask you about the implication in that statement. If you're comfortable responding to that, you can. If you don't feel you want to respond to an implication, that's also fine. It implies, that statement implies... I mean, look, look, I think think, think it's quite true that uh, there's no shortcuts to social cohesion. And I think that's a reasonable statement to say. But it's equally not fair to say to millions of people who have suffered for over so many years and decades, uh, who continue to suffer the brunt of uh, the apartheid legacy that they must just uh, uh, hold on because there are no shortcuts to this thing. I think instead of saying that there are no shortcuts to this process, uh, what we need to be saying is how much are we doing 
to change the economic and social realities in South Africa so that we can be able to, to, to reach this goal of a socially cohesive society where we won't be looking at each other in terms of the rich and the poor and the poor and the rich. Okay. Uh, this doesn't necessarily mean that we are going to have a society where uh, different roles relations in society are going to be the same. Um, um, on that, all dif- all class disparities will disappear. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean, and this is what our policies are doing. They are saying that we at least need to be able to achieve certain goals that will be able to change the race, the huge racial inequalities uh, that are existing in our society. You, you you took another tangent there. I, I never looked at it in that sense. And, and perhaps another day we'll talk about that. But I want us to talk about another implication in what she says. Uh, she says this is it, this isn't something that the state can impose on society. It implies that the state is imposing social cohesion on certain members of society. Again, there's an implication. I think she's wrong. She's a um, um, the state must take a leading role. Okay. In in, in this process. L- let me let me just. But, cl- but the state taking a leading role in this process does not mean that the state should not recognize uh, organs of civil society and other groups that are crucial in building a socially cohesive society. Mm. Uh, and when I'm saying talking about organs of civil society, I'm also referring to to business people. Okay. Um, the private sector, for example. Okay. But you cannot leave uh, this process in the hands of civil society or in the hands of, uh, of business. Uh, you need the state to drive the process. Okay. Uh, uh, there must be an intervener because those groups themselves are competing groups with competing interests among themselves. Let's talk about another group. And the group is a group of people who are unemployed in our country. And they have a movement called the Unemployed People's Movement that was not invited to the summit. Why? If we seek to put everyone together, why should this very important group of South Africans not be invited? Um, no, I wouldn't be aware exactly. I, I'm not, I, uh, but I'm, I think that there were groups there from uh, uh, there were a variety of groups there. I wouldn't. I don't think there was any attempt to exclude any group. I, I think I'm, when I'm I read even the statements uh, in the press, they were calling out on everyone to come. I, I'm not asking uh, you to the, respond. The front was there. Uh, even the far right, the far left groupings were there as well that you could think of. Um, the most conservative religious groups were there. Progressive, it, it was a constant really of asking South Africans to speak. I wasn't asking you to, to respond as a representative of the summit or the Department of Arts and Culture. I was asking you to give us some perspective as to the possibility of social cohesion when certain members of society are not part of that plan for social cohesiveness. No, then if you pose the question in that way, which is a correct question, it would be wrong to do so. Um, 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 because in a conference of that nature, 
as I said, social cohesion is not, you don't deal with, you don't deal just with religion and forget economics or vice versa, take economics and forget religion. But equally, amongst contending, amongst different political parties with contending views, uh, you don't want to lose any of them out. Social cohesion means that those political groups themselves to speak to one another, even if they have their own differences. But the question of differences really should not, that's why I, 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 I always warn, and that was what I, I, I often quoted to, to, to about, about the conference, that uh, we, 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 we must move away from this homogenizing idea. We must think heterogeneously. Uh, heterogeneously understanding that even within a household, in your own family unit, uh, your brother may want to become a doctor, you may want to become a teacher. Uh, your brother may want to become a businessman, you may want to become a sociologist. So you all, you are even diverse, even at the unit of a, of a household. Uh, so there is diversity there. But that diversity does not mean that you don't have basic uh, commonalities that brings you family. Okay. Um, hence, hence the warning about thinking uh, or using a window of analysis that seeks to homogenize things. President Jacob Zuma was quoted at that conference that you keep on referencing as having said, we are a people with an inspiring history. We do not hesitate to tackle difficulties and challenges. We are going to try and find a way to live together in peace and harmony, building a united nation. It seems as if he is looking to the future, not the present or the past. He is saying we are going to try, implying that it, we have not tried yet, but we are still going to try to find ways to live together in peace and harmony. I don't want to interpret too much of the president and what he's saying, but all I can tell you is that I do believe we are a very unique uh, country as South Africans, uh, and I'm saying that uh, because who you can go to Africa, which is our continent, which we, which where we belong to. You can go to Europe, and that, that is what, when I was in Europe, I used to confront colleagues with uh, in these debates on race and identity. Uh, where we find a country uh, under colonial rule uh, that would uh, adopt a document like the Freedom Charter that says South Africa belongs to all those who live in it, black, white, colored, Indian. Where would you find a, a country in the world that would be able to define the question of identity in that way? There is none so far that I have come across. I'm still waiting to find one. Despite, and, 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 and correctly so, at that period, 1965, yes, I'm sure I was that. So uh, um, um, that, it, that, that in itself is quite unique. That in itself is quite inspiring. Uh, where would you find the oppressor saying, yes, we want, this is the vision of the country that we want. This is what we aspire to. Even if we do not have it, in, even if there are structural uh, uh, um, 
processes uh, that were set by the regime, even if there was a regime that is as powerful as the South African regime previously, uh, that enforced colonial and racial rule in the way that it did. But yet, our leaders stood and they said that. Not our leaders, but that generation uh, said that. And, and that phenomenon, that way of thinking, carried on till up to today. That's unique. Maybe we're not inspiring, but we, may be, we are unique. But I think in our uniqueness, we tend to inspire other nations as well. All right. We're going to leave it right there. So we really do appreciate you coming through and talking to us at this very early hour of the day. Yeah? Thank you very much. Can I sleep now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, you may. Have a wonderful evening, sir. Bye. Thank you, night. That was Leslie Degeni, a visiting research fellow at the Graduate School of Public and Development at the University of the Witwatersrand. He's also a research associate rather, at the University of Pretoria, the Department of Political Science. He was talking to us um, on social cohesion. You've heard his views and, uh, well, make up your mind and all that should be is that we have the responsibility to take up the baton and keep on running towards the end of the line we ought to be the socially cohesive nation whatever who says what we ought to be the socially cohesive nation and it's our responsibility too it's 30 minutes after one now we focus uh, on yet another controversy that seems to be dividing us and, and well on certain quarters and uniting us on certain quarters the issue of Oscar Pistorius it appears as if the nation has got difference of, uh, difference of opinion. And, so suppose it's, and I suppose it's a good thing that as a country we have these vibrant opinions about what's happening even in a courtroom. While we all believe in the law saying we're presumed innocent until proven guilty, it appears so some have decided that Oscar Pistorius is guilty. Let's hear what has been happening in court thus far. What? Let me rather put it this way. As what are you giving evidence? My lady, I stand before you in court giving evidence as an expert witness. As an expert witness. Now, is this a forensic, as an expert forensic witness? Am I right? Are you giving so forensic evidence? No, I'm not giving forensic evidence. What? What do, you, what do you understand with forensic to be? Forensic is issues to do with crime and criminal issues. So you're telling this court, I'm giving evidence it's got nothing to do with crime or criminal issues. I'm giving evidence, my lady, as it uh, refers to my knowledge of uh, the accused, Mr. Pistorius, my knowledge of the physiology as it pertains to this particular case and my experience of him in the sport and exercise medicine setting. That's all? Or more? <coughs> no, it refers to the neurophysiology of the startle response and how it might be relevant in this particular matter. How it might be relevant? You never... I, you wouldn't go so far as to say how it was relevant. 
no, it's not for me to explain how it is relevant. Uh, I need to explain to the court any factors that can actually assist the court in their findings. Now, the, uh, for, a, for a forensic witness to give evidence, the duty of the forensic witness would be towards the court, am I right? To give an unbiased view. Or do you agree with that? Yes, I would agree that... It's an, but no, I, I cannot speak about forensic. So, uh, I'm not standing before you as a forensic expert. So, you, you don't want the court to take into account that your evidence deals with accountability? Or don't you even know what no, accountability I, would be? I would not venture an opinion on accountability because that's a legal term. I would address just to do with the issues to do in my report from a, the aspects that I've already explained to my lady. Let me ask you this question. What was your brief? My brief was to detail my experience with Mr. Pistorius uh, in as much as I have been looking after him for six years and my experiences, anything that might be relevant and then to detail any of my observations with him and anything that I might find relevant in this matter. Now if I look at that, detail my experience, that would be a character witness more than an expert witness. Tell me how I've learned to know Mr. Pistorius. Why would that be an expert witness and not a character witness? Because my lady, I understand that an expert witness is a witness that in terms of my qualification, uh, my experience in the field, my work in the field and my knowledge allows me to be in a position that could assist the court. So I stand before you really with my experience of the defendant and very importantly my experience of disability and my work in disability and my work in physiology and neurophysiology and the flight and fight response that would be in a position to assist. I understand your experience, I understand your expertise. I'm dealing with a criminal case at the moment and I'm dealing with your evidence before this court. If I listened to what you said, you said uh, my brief was to share my experiences with Mr. Pistorius. Now those experiences with Mr. Pistorius, that would be character evidence and not expert evidence. Your question, sir? My question is, do you agree with me? No, because it's in, in relevance my knowledge of him with respect to any of my knowledge in disabilities or the, fa the fact that I am a sport and exercise medicine physician who has knowledge of the other responses that might be in play here. Now, the, have you ever given evidence in a criminal matter before? Never, sir. Good. Now, so your expertise you've never applied in the criminal field. Your question, sir? Have you? Have you applied your expertise in the criminal field? Yeah, I've given evidence in this Apart in from this today. Trial. Apart from today? No. Okay, that's the answer. Now, but what we know is that as a physician, 
your main responsibility is to act in the best interest of your client or your, your patient. Am I right? Yes, sir. It's, it's contained in the guidelines uh, for good practice in health care professions. Yes, sir. It was promulgated in a government gazette, R717 of 2006, to always act in the best interest of your patient. Am I right? Yes. Is that what you're doing now? I believe so. Now, wouldn't you say that an expert witness would require a high sense of objectivity to be able to assist the court in any way? Indeed I would, sir. But that you don't have because objectivity may harm your client, your patient. That wasn't put to me as a question, but what I will respond is that I disagree with Mr. Nell's statement and that I'm not going to come before this court giving a and I understand Mr. Nell's inference is one of bias a biased report because I have been very very careful my lady to back up with scientific evidence all of the points that I have made I would not risk my reputation being here by coming to bring bias in a biased report. But uh, the overriding factor is you must always act, even in your evidence and in your cross-examination, you must always act in the best interest of your patient. Whatever question I ask you today, that is the overriding factor. Am I right? No, Mr. Nell, my lady, I am here to answer Mr. Nell's questions first and foremost to provide the truth the truth would become before my patient are you saying that you, you would you would you would give evidence today that would be in, in answers to cross-examination that would be against your patient but you're not allowed to do that you have to always act in the best interest of your patient you cannot Give evidence against your patient, sir. My lady, I am under oath. I am here to provide the truth, and that is what I will do. Now, do you, I will put to you that the 